You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for each one of us. Even as we stand here now, we ask you to come and visit with us one by one. Take my lips, Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you very much for the welcome, Canon Andrew, Dean Andrew, maybe one of these days, Bishop Andrew. <laughs> and great to be with you all, uh, old friends who've been around a long, long time in my life, and new friends to make here while we're together. It's a privilege, too, to be ministering across a five-day period of lunchtime services like this, so that whatever I don't say today, I can say tomorrow, and day by day. We're going to be looking at John's Gospel, and uh, there is plenty of food there for thought along the way. The first 14 verses, we'll try to skim across significantly, though, this morning, That's the prologue, chapter 1, and those first 14 verses. The epilogue is a one-verse statement in chapter 20. Here's what it says. There are many other miracles that Jesus did which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and through believing in him might have life through his name. That sums up the gospel. Who Jesus is and what he came to do. And there is a direct relationship between those two. If he is not who he said he was, then he could never accomplish what he said he came to do. Who he is and what he came to do are absolutely related to each other. And the first 14 verses, as a prologue, introduce us to these thoughts. So let me read those first verses and then we'll take a look at them. John chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself, speaking of John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me state a simple reality. There being a God, the only way we are going to get to know him is if he reveals himself. And outside of that revelation, God himself revealing himself, showing himself to us, anything else is but speculation. And those are the two great environments. To respond to his revelation of himself as he reveals himself. And outside of that, it's pure speculation. Now there's much to speculate about. But when God reveals himself it becomes almost obligatory on our part to recognize that revelation and to believe in whom God shows himself to be. At the human level, it's so true. My wife and I have been married 53 years and she still is a mystery to me. Most of the men get this. And I wonder whether the mystery is deliberate or whether it just happens to be the way women are. After 50 years, I'm still trying to understand my wife. I think I'm perfectly understandable, by the way, in that mix. And it's only as much in reality as we reveal ourselves to each other. This is at the human level. 
if we're willing to open up to one another and share who we are, that we really can grasp and understand and trust one another. That's at the human level. So with God Almighty, as revealed to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, unless God reveals himself to us, we are really whistling in the wind. Much to see, much to admire, many conclusions to draw. But when God reveals himself, then we can really get to know him. So when John's Gospel begins, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, in the original Greek, is logos. So in the beginning was the logos, the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And the word logos in English is the word from which we get logic. One could translate this to say, in the beginning was the rationale or the mind that created everything. Was God, was with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that has been made. A mind, a design, a creation, after that rational, organized, deliberate action of Almighty God. Later, verse 14, it says that word became flesh, that rationale became a human being, Jesus. And we beheld the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that condenses this one thought, that God created us and designed us according to his mind and will and creative genius. When that settles in, it stands in stark contrast to much of what we hear today. And this is the other great conclusion that people have drawn, that there is no God, and we got here by chance, by accident. Because that's the other great possibility. If there is no God, then we got here by chance. And if we got here by chance, then there is no design. It's billions of mutations over billions of years, and we turn up as we are. Things as they are, are by pure chance. Those are the great alternatives. And what's amazing to me is how hard the mind and organized intellect of human beings works to make it look like it was an accident. 
that creation was by chance. Giving our intellect and mind create our own creative genius to come up with a way by which everything came to be as it is, appears to be designed, appears to be spectacular, like you and me. Our mind connected to a nervous system, the skeletal system, the cardiovascular system. We're brilliant. And it all happened by chance if there is no God. And the agnostic who's caught between saying, yes, there is a God, and no, there isn't, who says, I don't know, becomes a dominant thought today. Because it actually takes a whole lot more faith to say we got here by accident than we got here by design. Because for sure, everything does look like it's designed and functions as if it's designed. I remember chatting with a young man He was dominating a conversation with other students by asking this question. Where are you coming from when you say that? Well, I was in Mufti. I wasn't standing there looking like a minister. So I was sort of on the edge of this conversation. And after a while, because he kept asking whatever was the viewpoint, well, where are you coming from when you say that? So I said to him, well, where are you coming from when you ask that question? He said, I don't know. I said, how do you know you don't know? He said, I don't know, I don't know. I said, how do you know that you don't know that you don't know? He said, I don't know that I don't know that I don't know. Now, of course, he was just arguing the impossibility of knowing anything, an absolute, altogether agnostic, not knowing. But once he admitted that he knew anything, we could have had an intelligent conversation. But without him admitting that, it was just insanity. And that does strike a chord Many of you are just in the right age group to remember the Beatles. And they came with a song called Strawberry Fields Forever. I could actually sing it for you. But I'm not going to. Let me take you down to Strawberry Fields. Nothing is real. There's nothing to get hung about. Strawberry Fields Forever. Living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding all you see. It's getting hard to be someone, but it all works out. It doesn't matter much to me. Let me take you down to strawberry fields. Nothing is real. Deliberate, non-intelligible chaos. And the end of that original song was about three minutes of cacophony. 
they leave that off nowadays. But deliberate cacophony. They had set to music the kind of chaotic unreality which, if you say there is no God, as wonderful as it all looks, there is no rationale to it. I'll just tell you this little personal note that as a lad of about 14, growing up in Oxford, England, I walked home from school most days. And one day I was walking home from school and I was asking myself this question, guest, that's my last name, and that's what all the teachers used to refer to me as, guest. Guest, why are you going to school? My answer, to get an education. Why do you want an education? Well, so that I can get a good job. Why do you want a good job? So that I can earn good money. Why do you want good money? So that you can live, so that I can live comfortably. With some pleasure. And then I ask the question, and then what? And then I ask the question, and so what? And in a flash, and I remember it as if yesterday, I said to myself, there must be a God. There must be a God who brought this all into being. Because the very longing I have for a purpose and a sense of destiny cannot be by mere chance. And that was the beginning of my stirrings toward a Christian faith. I wasn't raised to go to church. We didn't have a Bible in our home. We never went to church. My parents never went to church. We never prayed. We never said grace. We didn't have a now I lay me down to sleep prayer. And it wasn't until I got into adolescence that I began to ask myself these questions. And those are the big answers, either chaos that appears to be meaningful or real meaning and purpose, which, if you don't believe in God, you try to organize as chaos. Now, God in Jesus revealed himself. So the word became flesh. That is, the rationale, the mind behind creation became a part of our creation, Jesus. And in seeing him, we beheld what God is like, the glory of the Father. So Jesus said of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, speaking of himself. If you believe in me, then it's like you believe in the Father. So when he goes on to move from describing the reality of creation and the created order, that in the beginning was the mind, the rationale behind it all. And isn't it interesting, by the way, and this is just like a thought thrown in, 
that most of those who are secular and godless look at those of us who believe as if we're crazy. To believe. Whereas they themselves are self-proclaimed crazy in the sense that they don't believe any order. They believe in chaos. They believe we got here by chance and accident. At least that's what they choose to say. But God is at work in that mix constantly because God does come seeking us, looking for us, to reveal himself to us one by one. That's why he became flesh. The incarnation of God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ was to absolutely and definitively relate himself to us, show himself to us, reveal himself to us. So that in knowing him, we might really know the Lord himself. And there is a sense in which Jesus is walking around amongst us, present here this noontime. He knows who we are. He knows the homes from which we come, the work to which we return. He knows. And the amazing comment in this prologue is that he, having come into the world to reveal himself to us, to as many as received him, he said, he gave power to become children of God. A transformation of who we are in reality from just the created order to the recreated, the regenerated, the born anew order. Born again, not of flesh and blood, not of any family or family design, but born of God's Spirit, and as such made heirs of the kingdom and children of God. So the God who reveals himself doesn't do so simply as an intellectual exercise. He reveals himself to us that we might know him and trust him and be transformed by him. So the single great statement from later in the gospel, John chapter 10 and verse 10, is Jesus saying, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I heard that verse when I was a teenager from a man who said he knew God and quoted Jesus. And when I heard that statement, in my own heart I said to myself, that's what I'm looking for. That life. That vibrant, amazingly new gift from God that I might have life in all its fullness. And it was just a few years later. In fact, that reminds me that the last time I was in this pulpit was the day that Billy Graham died. And as a young man, I went to hear Billy Graham in London and entered into that personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ and became a new young man. And if I've been in a ministry 50 years, that was something like about 60-some years ago. And that's God's great desire in revealing himself. So as I'm speaking, even as I'm speaking, God is speaking. My prayer that he would take my lips and speak through them would be that he would speak to each of us from his heart to ours. This Lenten journey, which we began Wednesday of last week, Ash Wednesday and entering into the Lenten season, is really a journey to the heart of God, a journey to the cross, and a journey to the empty tomb a resurrected Jesus, alive and present with us. And the prologue contains all that. A God who loved us enough to create us, a God who loved us enough to send his son Jesus, and a God who desires to enter into that personal, intimate relationship with each of us. For many of you, these are words of affirmation, confirmation, and encouragement. For one or two of you, perhaps the beginning of a stirring of a journey yourself you will make to the cross of Christ. And may it be so this Lenten season for you. Let's bow our heads and speak to this Lord now. Lord, we are humbled by your genius. Thank you for creating us. And thank you for doing that out of love. After your own image creating us. That we might have a relationship with you. Meet us, Lord, along the way as we commune with ourselves in our own minds, as we reflect with one another about your word and your claim to reveal yourself in Jesus, that we might discover you all the more intimately and personally and give ourselves all the more fully to you that we might in fact enjoy that abundant life, that overwhelming privilege of your spirit dwelling in us, adopting us into your family to be your own personal intimate children. Encourage us, Lord. We need your help. We need you to work within us. Continue with us in the way we pray. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. 
Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.